During constant change, your leadership has never been more important to create a better and more inclusive world. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast for the insatiably curious to explore the power of human-centered leadership to create real momentum for positive and sustainable change. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we speak to global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors as we discover that success leaves clues. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. Hello and welcome to another segment of the Leadership Enigma. This is the anniversary episode and we are going on and on. Why? Because there are just too many wonderful guests to speak to. It's as simple as that. So it's a huge welcome to Dr. Tremaine Dupree, decision scientist, author of Decide and friend. So it's lovely to see Tremaine. But then we've also got Kevin who's scratching his head already. Uh, and he's the, uh, he's the founder of Red Leadership and the former head of Covert Policing, Metropolitan Police, New Scotland yard and what he'll tell you is that he found me in a skip it's not true i'll just deal with that right now but it's a huge and massive welcome to both of you for coming back and supporting the leadership enigma how are you both that's a slightly subdued isn't it that's that's (laughs) there's a lack of energy there do you see i don't know what i've done to this katie i think you should ask again like they do when you go to the theater i think you're right all right how how are you both we, we needed a warm-up act, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely fab. Thank you very much, Adam. And Tremaine, awesome. are you fab? I am just... Yes, I'm absolutely fabulous, as you can oh. see. <laughs> no, note to self, this is where it all started to slide off, slide off, slide away. This, this utterly professional podcast. No, it never was. Listen, it's great to have you both here, and I know that we're going to talk about instinctive decision-making. And, Kevin, you have an illustrious 30-year career as a police officer, as a detective, a former head of covert policing for the Met, hostage negotiator. I love it when you said your wife always said to you that you used to bore people down off the roof, but I don't want to reel too much. But why don't you start this conversation? What's instinctive decision-making or that copper's gut? Do you know, myself and Tremaine were talking about this uh, in preparation for today, and I was trying to work out what it is that people mean when they talk about this instinctive decision-making and this automatic way of deciding and of course in my old world it was the copper's hunch we used to call it that just that something doesn't feel right and uh, do you know I saw um, a a comment by the deputy commissioner at Scotland Yard recently in response to some public criticism about police action right and he said it's actually the job of the police to be professionally curious and I quite like that because I think that is the job of the police to to be inquisitive, to be curious about things. Why is it that when there are thousands of people and thousands of vehicles going about their daily business, that a copper's attention is drawn to something that just doesn't feel right? And is that instinctive behavior or is it something that we call that suspicion, that experience? And you know, for years, there have been public information campaigns, haven't there, about the public. If you see something suspicious, call the police. And of course, being typical Britons, what happens over here is that people very reluctantly call and apologise for doing so, but usually they're right. And why are they right? It's because they've seen something which doesn't match normal patterns of behaviour. They too know what people do in their street, in their area, and how they go to and from. And if they see someone hanging around or somebody sitting waiting in a car for a long time, it draws their attention. So this suspicion is something that's innate in all of us. 
but as a police officer it's heightened because you see so much of it all the time and you become professionally experienced in knowing what doesn't feel right. Now, Tremaine has names for this that I didn't <laughs> realise. She uh, has the science, science Kev. behind the copper's hunch. Yeah. Um, before I go to Tremaine, it's interesting because you, you mentioned professionally curious. I like that as a term, and we've spoken about curiosity being such a, a strong leadership capability. And it also reminds me, Kevin, of that, that book. Do you remember Blink? <clears throat> Excuse my voice. Do you remember yeah. Blink by Malcolm yeah. Gladwell, where it was thin slicing was using all of your wisdom and experience and you were able to make a decision in a millisecond but actually there was so much going on behind the scenes which is probably a good cue to go over to Tremaine to say Tremaine what is actually going on then when we make these instinctive decisions? Well what's happening is that our body is giving us data that we don't always see as data because it comes literally from different places in our body. Some people will, um, you know, if, if you're feeling afraid or feeling anxious and, and something doesn't feel quite right, you may have hair on the back of your neck standing up, you may have sweaty palms, you may feel something in your gut that doesn't feel quite like it did a few minutes ago. Um, so what we're having is the, the part of the brain that produces emotional responses is far quicker than rational thought coming from the prefrontal cortex. Okay. And that then allows us to produce an emotion in response to uh, something we see or hear or something we need to decide. Um, we don't quite have the, the words or the rational thought to attach to it just yet, but it is our body saying, hang on, we might have been in this situation before. And the, the leading theory is Antonia Damasio's theory on somatic markers. Now, soma is of the body, it's Greek for body, um, and a marker is, of course, uh, a memory that the body has been marked with when we've been in a similar situation before. So we have something, we had a decision or a, an outcome to a circumstance, and we stored some of that information as a cognitive memory, rational memory, and some of it was stored in the body as an outcome. Now, when we're in that similar situation, again, the body then reproduces this feeling far quicker. And that is a somatic marker, and that we know today as gut feel. So it isn't entirely airy-fairy. It really is coming from our own experience. Of course, what goes into that gut feel uh, into creating that experience in the first place really does determine the quality of that gut feeling. Okay, so let me bring Keith and Katie into this conversation. So this is instinctive decision-making. Leaders must be making decisions many times a day and we're still navigating the pandemic so it's chaotic and ambiguous and who knows where we're all headed. What are your thoughts in relation to instinctive decision-making? I think it's great but I also think it's super dangerous. <laughs> and it's about leaders being aware of the fact that you've got both of these things going on. That you, There are times when it's okay to trust your gut and there are times when it's really not. So for example, if you're trusting your gut, but your gut is quite biased, then you're gonna potentially make some decisions that are ethically challenging or that don't fit in with your DNI policy. So you've just gotta be super careful that you're only trusting your instinct when it's a good time to do it. Okay, that makes me think about, you know, Kahneman's book, is it System yeah. 1 and 2, Slow and Fast Thinking, which we'll, we'll come back to Kevin and Treme uh, Tremaine in a moment. But Keith, thoughts? Yeah, I, listen, I think um, for me, uh, a great, uh, and I think Kevin mentioned it earlier on, is, is curiosity. I think curiosity and decision-making go together, even though that might sound a bit strange. Curiosity because it's about asking questions. And to make good decisions, you need to ask questions. Sometimes a lot of questions, sometimes... A few questions, and and you know, to Katie's point, 
it's important that the people you're asking those questions to you are, you know, have at least some diversity of thought uh, around the table. So it's not just you making the decision or it's not just your point of view that um, that uh, comes forth and not be challenged. Okay, so let me come back to Tremaine and Kevin. If I think of system one and two, fast and slow thinking, I suppose if I'm if I'm just tying up my shoelace or even indeed driving after so many decades, maybe that's just instinctive and automated. But if I'm doing a, a maths problem, which I wouldn't be doing, or a tax return, which I might be doing, then I'm going to have to think long and hard about that. So uh, Tremaine, let me come back to you first. Uh, your thoughts in relation to this system one, system two, and how do we at least recognise that we're shifting between the two or trying to understand our own biases and assumptions that we might make? Yeah, I think in the research we've certainly moved on from the oversimplification between, you know, really quick and instinctive and slowing down. Yeah. Because in reality, we, we really do need a blended approach. Um, and the brain isn't set up to work particularly well on either of them. Um, because sometimes we could be doing that tax return, but something in the back of our mind is niggling us and maybe we've forgotten something. Um, so we, we do know that it, it's quite a dangerous segregation to make today. You know, a lot of the research in behavioral economics is constantly evolving, which is part of what makes it a fascinating area of study. Um, so, so what we need to think about, to, to Katie's point, uh, which is a great point, was that that information, sometimes we need to trust and sometimes we don't, but we can even take it a step further when it comes to that really fast thinking and say, well, can we simply use this as a point of data? rather than just going with it completely or not, saying this is another piece of data in my decision-making. Where does it fit and where does it come from to the questioning point? Kev, you have some thoughts on this as well. Yeah, well, for me, it's about when do I have to decide? And if I need to respond because this is an urgent situation or a fast-moving situation, then you sometimes have to rely on your gut instinct more than you would if you had time to investigate. Of course, we all want to respond to our curiosity and ask more questions, explore a little bit more, ask, uh, ask people who uh, are other independent witnesses, perhaps, or have more information. But sometimes you don't have that opportunity, so it's very dangerous to re react and respond really quickly when you shouldn't, because you may jump to conclusions. You may think, oh, I've seen this situation before, this is how I handle it, and get it badly wrong. And on the other hand, if you take too long to make a decision when there is an imminent threat there, you may have to rely on that gut instinct more so than in the other scenario. So, Tremaine, I'm going to open up as well to Katie and Keith. Leaders at the moment, we're, you know, I still come back to, I can't ignore the fact that we are, I hope, coming out of a pandemic. And in some ways, it has shaped the future that we'll step into. So what could or should leaders be doing now to challenge or to get better at decision-making when we come out of this incredibly volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous time? Because after the pandemic, it'll be something else. Well, for us, it'll probably be Brexit. And then it'll be something else. And then it'll be something else. It's just never-ending. So where should leaders be on this continual journey of being better decision-makers? Any thoughts? I'll ask Katie and Keith first. Yeah, I, I will. Again, maybe born out of my experience, but um, uh, I'd like people to make decisions. Um, I think there's an awful lot of pontificating that goes on, and, and this last 15, 18 months has given an extra dimension to that pontificating, yeah. um, or you know, a lack of decisiveness around um, around moving forward or, or not moving forward on particular initiative project, whatever it may be. So, so for me, um, you know, I'm hoping um, 
uh, and certainly as I kind of chart um, my, my journey as a leader and that of my team is that we will feel more empowered to make decisions, albeit hopefully in the right way, with the right inputs, with the right um, uh, you know, balance or diversity across, across the group in terms of, of the inputs you need. So um, making decisions really is, is where I am. I, I've seen too many things be postponed or put off or right. delayed or, or are not acted upon. And, and uh, uh, you know, to, to, you know, and I'm, I'm being kind of slightly humorous here, but, but actually getting to back to an environment where you can make some medium and long-term decisions about your business. Be nice, wouldn't it? And yeah. so, Katie, I, I, I'm guess, second guessing that probably leaders come to you from a coaching point of view, and uh, decision making is part and parcel of what they want to talk about. Yeah, definitely. And I think tying into what you just said, Keith, kind of giving them the power to think big thoughts. We've mm. had a period of time where we have we've thought big thoughts about the pandemic, but we haven't really thought many other big thoughts. Everything's been quite constrained by that. So, giving them the curiosity, giving them the power to have those big thoughts, to think about the future and to then make decisions based on on all these data points. I love Tremaine's point about, you know, you've got all these different data points and actually being brave enough to use some of those. Okay, so let me, Tremaine, let me come back to you. And yeah, we love that point about data. We're getting data all the time from lots of places and probably lots of data that we don't even realize is data. What should leaders be doing or could be doing now as we hopefully come out of this pandemic to be better decision makers or be more aware of the decisions they make? you know the, the the pandemic has really put decision making in the spotlight right it's it's been a bit of a, a renaissance in decision making certainly in my world because we've relied on more and more people to make decisions but more people have been more afraid to make decisions because there is so much unknown so much uncertainty um and and what i found is is i started talking more and more and being asked to talk more and more about decision agility how do we empower other people to make better decisions as a leader, we can't just tell people to go off and make better decisions. We have to really understand what are the tools, how can we help them? So whether it be decision coaching specifically, whether it be looking at decision dashboards around decision making best practices. As leaders, it is our responsibility to equip those we are expecting to make better decisions with better tools to do so. There is a lot of assumptions that people simply know how to make great decisions, but actually there is a science behind it. And so, Kevin, let me come to you, because obviously you've had to make decisions where life has been at risk. So making that decision in, in high stakes ambiguity, how? How do you do that? Because, because the option of not making a decision is just not an option. And, you know, those decisions actually feel like the easier decisions for me to take because right. you have all this training and experience and you have all the resources around you when you're making those big, big decisions. Um, so they're fairly straightforward, believe it or not. I feel they were because you know exactly what's, what has to be done and you have this clear objective to uh, minimise the risk to life. So you're very clear on what your purpose is in those situations. The, the trickier decisions are those which aren't as urgent, which, which may require change of direction when there's lots of opinion that may, uh, that may you know, you may think that actually there's, there's a different way of doing things or perhaps we shouldn't do that anymore. And, you know, and that's where you get challenges from colleagues who've been in the organization for many years saying, but we've always done it that way. Um, do you know what, there was, a, there was a TV program, I'm showing my age here a few years ago called Yes Minister, and then it became Yes Prime Minister. Yeah. And I always remember a scene from that where a senior civil servant and the minister were having a conversation and the minister made a decision and the senior civil servant said to him, 
oh, that's a really courageous decision, Minister. And the Minister said, oh, is it? Oh, well, I better not do that then. <laughs> and so it's this courage to take these decisions when it's not as clear cut as life and death and throw all the resources at it that you possibly can because that's your purpose. It's the more routine decisions, the long-term change. And really, people still have to make those decisions. It may not be that huge decision that changes the direction permanently and forever, but it might just be a small step in that direction that they're then able to course correct as they feel their way through the situation and that long-term change. But if we've met lots of people who are perhaps hesitant to make a decision and put it off or defer it to someone else in the leadership chain. And my view of that is that you're, as a leader, you're paid to make decisions at, at your grade, at your level. And, and if you don't want to do it, get out of the way because there's someone behind you who will be promoted into that position that ought to have a chance. So I'd urge leaders to take uh, their responsibility and take that courage and make that decision and course correct along the way if, they, if it needs adjusting. So anyone watching this or listening to us, all three of them, I joke, um, you can actually hear more from Kevin because, Kevin, you did episode two, Commander's Intent, and Tremaine, I've twisted your arm twice. So you have done two episodes now in relation to decision-making. So people can find those uh, in the back catalogue. Is that a phrase? Back catalogue for a podcast? Uh, of, of the episodes. James will let me know whether that's, that's true or not. But I want to ask you that question which I pose, which I, you've probably uh, done some thinking of, and that is the insight. And so, Kevin, you're on my screen, so I'm going to come to you first. And what is the most memorable, poignant, informative, useful piece of leadership advice that you've given or received? Well, I'm, I'm going to be humble and say it's, it's uh, leadership advice that I've received. Okay. And it was quite a few years ago when I was uh, quite junior in rank, and there was a very senior officer I was working to, uh, and um, I was his staff officer for the day on a public order situation in central London. And we were having a chat, and he said to me, just remember that rank is no barometer of wisdom. And I've always remembered and liked that phrase because... What it suggests, of course, is that leadership can come from anywhere and it's not dependent on your position in an organisation in terms of your grade or rank. It depends on the circumstances. And of course, when I've been running operations, you know, the most junior officer on the ground may have the best uh, knowledge and insight into what needs to happen next. So listen to those people. Rank and barometer and wisdom. I like that. People are making notes. So Ke Correct. Kevin, you've, you've done rather well there. You can actually have lunch. Um, <laughs> Tremaine, I'll come over to you. Uh, what are your thoughts? Oh, well, tough act to follow. I know. Um, no, actually, my, mine uh, relates to Keith, uh, Keith's point from earlier around getting questioning. Um, and it was something from an old boss who said to me, if everybody agrees with your decision, you might have missed something. And that, that's really stuck with me because as a leader, you might have missed the opportunity to get people around the table who can really challenge you. You might have missed the opportunity, if you can't do that, to go out and get those challenging opinions. Even if you have to challenge your own assumptions, if it's just, if it's a big decision and everybody agrees with you, you probably need to do a bit more work. Two pieces of great advice. And listen, Tremaine, Kevin, thank you so much for being superstars, coming back to the Leadership Enigma. Um, it's time for us to go because we've got another slot coming up. But I just wanted to say to you, thank you very much. Stay safe and I'll see you both very soon. Thanks, everyone. Bye now. Bye. Goodbye now. Join us again next week for more tips and strategies on the Leadership Enigma.
We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or our YouTube channel. And remember to get your daily learning to build success at www.insights.emeritus.org. Download the Insights app and start learning for free. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on all your major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.